You thought something would be different? You thought the timeout or the time off would change things? You thought that players coming back off of COVID protocol and injuries would change the result? This is the 2021-2022 Montreal Canadiens. Nothing changes. We continue this slog of awfulness, unwatchable hockey until the end, and hopefully they get a reward. All right, I'm going to welcome in my guest today. It's Scott Matla from Habs Eyes on the Prize and Locked On Canadians, and... Dave Kaufman, formerly of The Kaufman Show, which is still his at on Twitter, and uh, hosting a new podcast called Delve. Uh, have I got that right, Dave? Yeah, it's uh, it's part of uh, McGill's Business School. Uh, their uh, their publication, their their thought leadership publication, is called Delve, and I do a podcast for them called The New Normal, which so, seems to change every damn day. Unless unless it's you're watching a Habs game, and then it's well the same old. It's always the same. So I think we can call you Dave Kaufman thought leader, right? That's that's the, what we're going here, right? Thought, thought leader explainer, I think thought is, is more thought leader explainer. Yeah, I'm going to have to come up with something better for the business cards, but it'll be probably going to be a long time before we're handing them out in person anyway. So all good. Perfect. All right. So uh, this was a game uh, that was uh-huh, played. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> are we sure? Yeah. Like, are I we mean, sure? I saw one team play, but I, I don't know true. about the other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've got some interesting things to talk about at the very least, right? Like uh, off the ice, Bergevin has a new job already, which, you know, was rumored before he was even out of the Canadians organization that he was going to go to LA. We'll chat about that. I always try to start things off with a positive, right? And sure. It's very difficult in this season to find positives, unfortunately. Uh, Michael Pozzetto was a positive tonight. He was great. Uh, he scored a pretty nice goal. He agitated the Bruins. But if Michael Pozzetto is your best player, <laughs> it's not, not a good the first scene. Time, not the first time this season that that, that, that comment has been uttered and, and where someone steps up. And that's, I guess that's the sign of a mediocre, mediocre hockey team, right? I feel like you're being generous if you say mediocre. It, it's funny is that if you told me at the beginning of this year that you will say multiple times, Michael Pozzetto was the best player on the Canadians tonight, I would have asked for whatever is in your bag in your back pocket right now, because you're clearly out of your mind. And then here we are, Michael Pozzetto, actual NHL forward. I don't want to say good, but... Yeah, uh, on a night like this, if Pizzetta, like you said, is your best forward, things have gone horribly, horribly awry for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it, did, it's uh, not did we get an update on on Allen, Andrew? Uh, yeah, just that he wasn't coming back to the game. So I'm guessing that it's going to be a bit, you know, uh, that's just the way things have gone for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, how <laughs> how this season is Allen coming back? His first game back, and he can't even make it through a single period. You know, and... It's just like the insult to injury. And I was joking around a little bit with Ellen Etchingham that like Jeff Gordon hasn't had to lift a finger to complete the tank because 
everything has fallen into place perfectly. No, Omicron's done that for him, right? Oh, Omicron's done that for him. The, the like freak injuries have done that for him. You look at the second goal that the Boston Bruins scored today. How many goals like that have gone in against the Montreal Canadiens this season where it's just like a nothing play and the puck like bounces up into the air out of nowhere and goes right onto the stick of an opposing player right in front of the net or like off of a player's back into the net or Jeff Petrie tries to clear the puck and shoots it off of somebody's face into the net. You know, like those kinds of things. It's been an absolute curse to the point where unless you're somebody whose emotional state is completely defined by wins and losses day to day for the Montreal Canadiens, you can't help but laugh a little bit, right? Like it is legitimately funny what's gone on here so when when did that day-to-day uh living and dying stop for you for me uh the suban trade okay i mean for me for me like growing up uh, i was a huge patrick Waugh person right like that's how i got into hockey so that was it broke my heart once okay i kind of like strayed a little bit became a colorado avalanche fan came back uh when like koivu came back from cancer and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in again, moved to Montreal in 2005. And I'm like, really in have a favorite player again, trade him again. I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done here. We're done here. No longer doing this thing. So much more relaxed about the whole thing. It's just like the job. Now, the fact that I have to watch them every game, I'm glad I'm getting paid for it. it's roughly the same. I mean, obviously I don't live in Canada or Montreal and it's like, I fell in now, like I grew up watching Dominic Hasek on TV here and that's where I first fell in love with that and those Red Wings dynasties. And then, you know, reading about Saku Koivu's return from cancer. And then when I got back into hockey, it was the 2010 run where I'm like, this is fun. This is absolutely ridiculous. None of this makes any sense, but I love it. And just kind of went from there. So uh, this year has been tough after the cup run last year, where it's just like, everything is, falling apart and it's like andrew said you have to laugh because they had what one nhl contracted forward left to recall before they went on a pause and they're injured they all have covid the team is just bad everything that could possibly go wrong short of the bell center burning to the ground this season has happened so far and i'm i'm not ruling that out because who knows with the way the season's gone that's gonna get hit by lightning or something dumb is going to happen to it in the middle of the game sometime in March now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, barring anybody getting hurt, the Bell Center burning down, I feel like at this point would be like burning the effigy that <laughs> an exorcism. You know, like, let's just move on. But now the Bell Center has like giant condo buildings attached to it. So you you can't really do that anymore because people <laughs> are going to get hurt. So now no Bell Center burning. Um. Let's talk about uh, a couple of things that happened during this game, because there were a few things that like more uh, not like in terms of like influencing the game, but just like my our takes on it, because there are a few things that I saw a lot of people getting on Jeff Petrie in the first period when he lost his helmet and then he went in and made a play and got a penalty. And they're, oh, Jeff Petrie this season. What's he thinking? If Jeff Petrie doesn't make that play, it's a clear unchecked high danger scoring chance for, I forget who the Boston Bruin was who had the puck. But I I think what people are missing there is, and sorry to make this boring, but the math. And I know that the Canadians have a terrible penalty kill, although they were pretty decent tonight overall, considering the rest of their play. (laughs) 
but even with a terrible penalty kill, I don't think people really know this, that the average power play doesn't even get a single scoring chance inside two minutes. Like the amount of scoring chances that teams get, it's way higher on the power play than an even strength play. But over the last couple of years, it's usually like three to five teams in the entire league average more than one scoring chance per power play. So if you can completely negate a high danger scoring chance and it costs you a penalty, it's worth it to take it every single time. So as much as people are saying like, oh, this mental mistake to me, I thought that was actually a great call by Jeff Petrie. That's doing the math in your head. It's the same as like being a goaltender. You're playing the percentages, right? I thought that was a great call or a great. He move. also, um, he didn't lose his helmet. His helmet was ripped off yes. his head, which should and, have been a penalty. And, right. And it's very strange that, that you're the one who's penalized when, when the opponent rips the helmet off of your head. Yeah, it, I, I mean, just I mean, forget about the you know, I could I could do one of those. I'm old enough to remember when they didn't have helmets type conversations, but uh, I'm not really. But I think maybe <laughs> I think Glenn Anderson was the one guy who was grandfathered in because he was still was from an age and was still playing and without a Craig helmet. McTavish. Oh, maybe that's who I'm thinking of then. One, one of the Oilers who you would, of course, remember, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Craig McTavish because. When I was young and collecting hockey cards, he was the only guy who did. Okay, have so a that's yeah, that's who it was. I'm confusing them, so for sure that's who it was. But but re regardless, I mean, re a ridiculous moment in the in the game. And but what was the score at that point? At that point, uh, zero zero. I was believe. it okay? It was still zero zero then. Okay. Yeah. So I, at that point, I think people were still on the oh, the Canadians are playing pretty well here. Which <laughs> yeah. I think you know, it, it happens a lot. Yeah, it was like three season. shots a piece for yeah. the first, what, 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Bruins were like, oh, this is not an NHL team. Let's we score two just, goals 20 <laughs> seconds or 15 seconds apart. Yeah. We could just roll them. It's okay. Yeah. So that that was my take on the Petrie thing. Uh, Scott, did you have any take on it? Uh, I won. It, he got like tackled in a headlock from behind into the boards. And to have the awareness to get up and at least, like you said, make that play is... I know he's having a miserable season by what Jeff Petrie's standards are, but plays like that are, he's not washed out. Like people are thinking he is. he's I'm assuming still beat to all hell and who on the Canadians has looked good consistently this season on offense or defense. And uh, some news, the NHL took away uh, that Bruins defenseman's first NHL goal and it went to Curtis Lazar. So there is uh, something to laugh at the Bruins about tonight, I guess. Yeah, Maybe. I wonder if they're going to change that because it didn't look like it hit Lazar on the replay. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've given up mostly paying close attention at that point only because I'm like, I know how this goes. This is it's not going to be oh, great. Yeah. It, it was it was over by then. Yeah, it was. Um, other things that I had written down for this game on the three on one shorthanded goal for Boston, which should never happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was blown away by Yoel Armia's back check or lack of back check. We'll say the beer league back check. Oh baby. my God. Like, <laughs> listen, I understand that this season, like I'm sure when Omicron was like absolutely raging right before the holidays. Right. And it looked like, Oh man, there's so many NHLers going out. They're going to have to pause before the season. Maybe they'll cancel the season. You know, like this could get crazy. It could be 2020 all over again. At that point, I wonder how many guys in that room were like, yes, 
Just no more. <laughs> let, let us go home to our families. I think Yoel Armia might have been one of them. I, I don't want to like insinuate too much because you just did. I know I am. I, am. I don't want to like, I'm not even really judging them because I feel like I'd be the same way. Trying to like, like, how do you motivate yourself? No, in but a the, you like you this? don't. And that's why the game wasn't 15 to, to nothing for a reason. They're, they still have that competitive spirit. They did not lie down tonight. And as terrible as it was, it really could have been worse. And I mean, I've seen, I have not seen a lot of games this season. I'm not paid to watch these games, so <laughs> I'll I'll sort of jump in and jump out, and and if you know there's something I want to see, then I'll I'll see how the team is faring. But uh, was this the worst game you've seen this season? Oh, not even close. No, right, no. right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that's exactly right. I mean, there was a moment. There was the breakaway with uh, the post. Was it Dauphin? Yep, yep. Okay, that that goes. It's four two, and and suddenly there's a hockey game. Oh, absolutely. There was right? a there was a stretch in the second period where the Bruins were playing flat out dumb hockey. And if the Canadians were a good team, even a league average team, I think that lead would have been not safe. That 4-1 lead. I think there was a very real possibility that they could have blown it. And then in the third period, they're like, yeah, let's, let's just lock it down. <laughs> we were a much better team. Played not dumb. They still played a little bit dumb, but dumb enough that they could hold on because they're just so much because they're playing the Montreal Canadiens exactly and and it's a shame that that we're at that point but we're at that point we are and you know I don't want to get too far down in the dumps but uh, I will say they did push at least like they had some pushback tonight but I will tell you one player who does not give a shit Mike Hoffman (laughs) that guy he like he just he doesn't give a shit like every time he plays with the puck he reminds me of like watching myself play hockey, which is what happens is like every time I get the puck or the ball playing street hockey, I run out of time and I'm like, ah, just flip it somewhere, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you see all of his passes in the offensive zone, even on the power play. And it's just like wild in between two players. And you're like, what is he trying to do? And I, I just think he, he didn't sign up for what this season was. And he's like, nah, I, I I'm not doing that. Like, I'll go through the motions, but I don't know why they're putting him on the first line outside of like maybe to get some scoring out of him so they can trade him later. But two more years in that contract, I think he's a tradable asset, but I don't think he's tradable this year because the effort's just not there. The scoring's not there. He can still do score you, 30. He's got a wicked shot, but ain't happening. Do you in this see lineup. this? Do you see this team getting better next year? Yeah. I mean, outside of Carey Price coming back and, and, being Carey Price, you can only go up from where they're at right now. I'm pretty sure. Like That's we were talking about definitely. Michael Pozzetta as a as their best player right now. The only way is to go up off the floor at this point, and someone's gonna get Mike Hoffman next season in the off season, whatever, and he's gonna score 25 goals playing with like. Connor McDavid in Arizona or something because McDavid's going to get traded out of Edmonton and everyone's going to be like, well, why couldn't you do that in Montreal? I'm going to go because this team couldn't buy a goal if they tried. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I I can definitely see that happening. And you know, as bad as this season is like I I was chatting on Twitter during the game about uh, Cole Caulfield, right? And Cole Caulfield has one goal this year and absolutely disastrous season, right? But it's not as bad as it looks because outside, like he is having a bad season, unquestionably a bad season. 
But based on the numbers, like he should, he's expected to have about six goals right now, uh, heading into this game. And like six goals in 26 games, not a great season by any stretch for a guy who you want to score a hell of a lot, but it's a, about a 19 goal pace over 82 games. That's not a disaster, right? And that's what he's like earned via his play. He hasn't got it because nobody is scoring up to expectations on the Canadians. So it's just this nightmare year. But there is a lot of that going on where you look at, you know, uh, recently the Arizona Coyotes passed the Canadians in points percentage. And I think now that the Canadians have lost here, I think Arizona might be ahead in actual points. Not not 100% sure on that. But the Arizona Coyotes are essentially scoring what they're expected to. And like, uh, I don't remember if it was uh, Dom Lucision from the athletic or Jay fresh hockey who posted, posted every, every couple days, he posts like a, like a breakdown of like which teams are scoring above or below expected and puts the whole league on there. I think it was Jay fresh and the Canadians are in the bottom four or five of the league. I think might've been second last or like 22 goals below expected offensively. So like, if you add 22 goals to this team, they're not good. But, no, but not some of them are Cole Caulfield's for sure. Yeah. Some of them are Cole Caulfield. Right. Some of them are Nick Suzuki's, you know, yeah. various players. Things don't look as bleak. So like if you're all, if you're that unlucky, 22 goals below expected, not even halfway through the season, like things are going to rebound next season naturally anyway. And having a clean slate where the season isn't over 10 games in, I think you get a lot more effort on a day-to-day basis where guys care and want to make a difference. And this evaluation period that the Canadians have also gives the incoming GM and Jeff Gordon a chance to decide like, who are the guys that do care who wants to wear the Jersey. Right. And this is where I've, I've been pushing lately where they, they shouldn't trade Arturi Lekin. even, even though he's going to be on an expiring contract this year and probably can get a pretty decent return. He's a guy that brings it every single night. And I think you saw that from him tonight as well. He might not score a lot, but I think he's a guy that adds a lot of value that uh, he's getting paid less than what he's worth, which is always a good thing. And he's young enough that he could still be valuable at the end of a rebuild, which I think is something like he might be maybe not the captain, but he might be wearing an A when this team is competitive again. And it's funny, we talked because Dom uh, Lecision this morning posted all those player cards for the Athletic, and I'm looking through there, and Arturi Lekkonen, like I said, the offense isn't there, but the defensive metrics that he brings and the effort that's there is what you want out of this team. You want guys who are going to try, and Lekkonen's versatile. You can have him in your bottom six. You can have him on your PK. You can have him on your power player in your top six. It's there. If you don't allow yourself that flexibility, and then you trade him, you're looking for, well, we need someone to replace that. And we saw how that went with Philip Deneau this year. It's like, well, Christian Dvorak's most of what he did. And then it's not the same thing there. It, I'm with you on that, that I think Lekkonen could get a huge amount at the trade deadline. But then how do you replace that? You don't have an in-house replacement right now, at least in terms of prospects that are ready for that right now. And I, I just don't like the idea of trading a guy who won is friends with a lot of these guys in the room there and brings something this team lacks and that's effort and defensive responsibility. And obviously the team PK isn't great, et cetera, et cetera, but he's trying at least. You can't say that for everybody every single night. 
But if there's yeah. nowhere to go but but up from here, then then maybe the answer is to to trade that for future potential. And and if somebody's not trying, then I'd imagine they're not going to last very long. I did want to know though, Andrew, when you said Jeff Gordon and the future GM, did did you kind of laugh a little when you said it or? Um, no, because I'm actually really interested in this management structure that they're bringing in. It kind of makes me think of the Toronto Raptors, right? With Masai and uh, Bobby Webster, where you have somebody who's at the top, who's got like the vision and it's their team, right? But the GM is there not necessarily to be like the wheel and deal person, but he's the actual manager, which is what the job actually is. Like you're managing people on a day-to-day basis, and it's kind of wild to think that the NHL or many NHL teams for a long time have had one person do that job. I mean, you look back a couple, I mean, not even a couple decades ago, decade and a half ago, you had guys like Pat Quinn who was doing that and coaching. Right. And you're like, did you sleep? Right. <laughs> like, right. Just crazy talk. But I'm Save actually it. interested to see how this works out because I think it also opens the door to having someone as GM who's not necessarily like a, a cap person or a, a contract fiend or like really dialed in with like other people around the league like Bergevin was. A man. Know. Yeah, or a man. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it allows a lot of possibilities. And I do think the Canadians are 100% going to hire at least one of the two women that they're interviewing for this GM job. Maybe not as the GM, but they're going to be part of the management structure. I think that it's very clear that the Canadians are trying to break the mold a little bit and it's about damn time. It, it says a lot when the Canadians being the most storied franchise in the league are going to be the first team to potentially do something like this. It's a huge precedent to set for the league there. And Laura and I have talked on locked on Canadians about this a lot, that it's exciting to have hope that they're going to do something different and that it feels like, the culture is actually shifting for where it needs to be instead of just saying it is and then doing the same thing a little different. They're actually changing the way things are going here. And that's kind of what's keeping me going through this season right now is, yeah, the team's bad and there's a lot of draft scouting to be done, but it's an entire new regime coming in here. I've Since I've closely followed hockey, it's just been Mark Bergevin and Trevor Timmons, et cetera. This is entirely new and I actually can't wait to see what they're doing here and, you know, Gordon's made a few smart moves so far um, with the hiring, the VP of communication, some of the waiver claims. There's smart moves being made there. And I can't wait to see when he has a full staff that they can kind of put their heads together and see how do we get this team back where it needs to be. They were in a Stanley Cup final less than six months ago. Was it a little bit fluky? Maybe, but there's talent there to make that happen. How can how can we get that team there next? Haley Wickenheiser's in the Leafs organization, right? Yes. Okay. I think in a, I believe it's in a coaching role. Okay. Uh, like a player development and skills coaching, I, I believe, but uh, people are welcome to correct me on that. If she's, uh, she actually might've been given a, uh, a promotion over the off season. I think she might also. I can't remember. I just, I, I know I all to say, I mean, look, this would be amazing. We aren't, we, we are not reinventing the wheel here. No, right? no, no. I mean, and the fact is, here's the thing. Uh, inviting women into the picture is is great. It's don't not mind like, uh, the the cameo. No, no, no. The cameo for everybody loves <laughs> right. a cat cameo. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like it's not like it's 
breaking boundaries or uh, fixing everything that should have been fixed. Like, it's not like they're interviewing people who are from different backgrounds either. Right. Like, <laughs> right. You know, right. it's, it's just also women, you know, like it's not hugely diverse and maybe they will make some other hires that will increase diversity within the organization, but it's just like one little baby step. Right. And yeah, it's about time and it's good to see. And like the hiring of Chantal Maccabee is fantastic because not only is she someone who has earned this, and you know, I can't imagine the garbage. We're also, she we're also celebrating. We're celebrating a hire that hasn't happened yet, right? We're, yes, we're absolutely celebrating the Montreal Canadiens hiring of a female. Maybe not the GM. Maybe the number two. Maybe the number three. I guess in this position, but but we should maybe just like cool our jets a bit before we're celebrating until, until she's hired. We're celebrating consideration. That's pathetic. It, the it bar is, is hockey. The floor. The bar it's not is. even on the floor. It's six feet into the floor, and you're yeah. stepping over it. That's it's, where we're at with this season right Jack now. Jackhammered right through the concrete. It's buried deep. They might consider possibly doing this really cool thing. We're all like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Thanks by the Bruins, but they might hire a woman. It's wow. like if you go from what they did at the draft to this, you understand where <laughs> right. you okay, know, fine. excitement comes from. Fine. Fair. Fair. It's a very well, put it like that. Yeah, that her, makes a lot I, more sense. And let her first move be to terminate his contract. Well, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think so either. No. I don't think so either. I wouldn't but be mad at of, it, but some of us won't have uh, short memories on that one. I, I would imagine. No, I mean, I think that uh, there are a lot of people with vested interests who are trying to pretend that everything's all hunky dory now that he's done his suspension. But uh, oh, yeah, twenty six games. Well, yeah. that was it, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Real important, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll transition from that real smoothly into uh if you like this show and if you like you know the steve dangle podcast or the julian and cj show or agent provocateur you can download the sdpn app where you can watch this video or all those videos uh, those shows not only can you watch them on the app you can do what you can't do on youtube which is minimize the screen so that the video plays in the bottom corner of your phone or you can move it around and use other apps. The YouTube app doesn't let you do it, but you can do it with YouTube videos on the SDPN app. You can also listen to the shows and you can check out some sick game over merchandise Ooh. like this amazing mug or some SDPN oh, this way. Beautiful merchandise designed by the one and only Jesse Blake. Check it out. All right, so I asked a question of the day, essentially, on Twitter during the game, uh, as the game was beginning, and it was like a pretty low bar question. We're talking about low bars, right? I asked, essentially, what do you want to see on the ice for as the season goes on? Because it's a lost season, right? Like, nobody's going to say, oh, I want uh, Cole Caulfield to score 40 goals like Trevor Zegras predicted, because it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm trying to find it here, so I'm just stalling. But I asked... What do you want to see? I'm going to read off some answers and we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, Matt Drake, friend of the show, friend of uh, eyes on the prize says uh, Larry Dolphin's hat trick. And that's uh, <laughs> Laurent Dauphin. Uh, Mike Pozzetta, Gordy Howe hat trick. I mean, he almost got there tonight. Uh, yeah, both of those are fun. I think what Matt's really getting at is fun, right? Uh, yeah. Jim for uh, hockey in Ottawa says, 
think I want to see honest effort. Win-loss isn't really a worry at this point, but don't be embarrassing would be a nice change. Like I said, the bar's on the floor. Mm-hmm. And play the kids. No need to overpay, overplay bad vets right now. Uh, you mean like UL Army on the second line tonight? Uh, Andre Rasico says, for Gallagher to score more goals than disallowed goals. Listen, we can't work miracles. Okay? The league also does not want Andre Gallagher Rasico. to score. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a high bar. We're looking for low bars here. Daryl says, maybe just one two-game win streak. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, this team's so sad. Oh, <laughs> it's so depressing. It's Wow. We celebrated them playing three good-ish games in a row where I think they won one of them. Like it was a winning streak, which. Yep. Oh, my yep. God. <laughs> yep. Uh, effort with a plan from Habs fan in Hogtown. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. Uh, someone says, Ebro says, same as the last two seasons, young players stepping up to prominent roles, passengers being cut from the team, and the team playing hard for 60 minutes, whether it's a race for the last overall or the Stanley Cup. I think that's very reasonable. And essentially what I think everyone at this point is hoping for. I think that's really reasonable Uh, for Ducharme to stop finding a way for Paquette to be in the lineup would be a great start. Man, people really hate Cedric Paquette. Hey, he did the Rene Bork thing tonight where there was uh, years ago when Rene Bork was here, there was a puck and there's an open net where someone scored it. And then Bork comes in to try and throw it in the empty net and he misses three times on the hooking penalty to the power play. I watched Cedric Paquette, the puck's right at his feet. I'm like, all he's got to do, it's a tap in. You can lift this up. I've seen you do this. And then he just misses it entirely. And I just kind of went, oh my God, we're doing this. Like, and the thing is, he's been outplayed by every AHL call up. Dauphine, Vademo, uh, Ryan Paling, probably Rem Pitlick here shortly. And it's like, I get that you need bodies, but sooner or later, you got to kind of realize this isn't working at all. And then yeah. he takes a penalty and you're on the penalty kill and we know how that goes. So it's like, I, I get the frustration at least a little bit. Yeah. I just I mean, I find that getting mad at, at these um, afterthoughts, these guys who in, in 20 years will be will be rattling off as names of, of can you believe that guy played for the the t- 2022 version of, of Yuha Lind, if you mm. will. And um, I just I don't understand the the wasted the wasted space and you know they're they're filling a role. We know that these guys it's not their fault, right? Yeah, it's not his fault, right? The season's yeah. going to be a fun time of remember some guys like we did yeah. with the well, uh, twenty twelve exactly season. It. That's exactly it. And Do you that, remember Pateri Nokalainen? Was he no. above or below the Blunden line? Oh, way below, way below. <laughs> Which so. Remember some guys? It's my favorite game of the world to play with the Canadians because they've had some real bad years with remember some guys. And that name sounds vaguely familiar in that I don't remember anything about him, but you could be <laughs> making him up for all I know. And I'd be like, yeah, he played for the Habs, right? Like, that sounds right. Oh, man. Uh, only Ban says, uh, wouldn't hate to see Caulfield show some spark. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's... When given a chance, he does show some spark. The thing that I want to see from Cole Caulfield is just staple him to a line with Arturi Lekkanen and Nick Suzuki and let it ride. You don't need to be worrying about wins and losses. Let Suzuki and Caulfield figure out chemistry so that they can work together long term. You know, and Lekkanen's there to insulate, 
to forecheck to create space for them. I think that line's something that could work and that I would want to see. Get Mike Hoffman the hell off that line. <laughs> he doesn't bring anything to it. And if you look at his numbers, like Suzuki with and without Hoffman this year, it's like with Hoffman, they're getting like 30% of the shot attempts. And without him, he's like at 50. <laughs> he just absolutely tanks him. Andrew, so, did anybody uh, tweet you saying that they just want no major injuries to occur between here and the end of the season? Uh, nope, the bar is not quite that low. Uh, the last okay. one was uh, Laura, the active <laughs> stick, Scott's co-host on Lockdown Canadians. She said, oh, win. And I re- replied, lower your expectation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I saw that one. Effort yeah. would be nice. They're uh, from... on pace for 17 wins this season, and I'm not sure they get it. Wow. That's well, this is we'll... it, it, the worst team in the history of the franchise, right? Oh, by far. By far they are. If the Green Bay Packers make the Super Bowl, they have 13 wins right now. Will the Packers finish this season with more wins than the Montreal Canadiens? And at this point, if I, if 17 is the bar, I I don't know if they do it. Unless they like fire Ducharme and they get that, you know, dead cap bounce and they kind of get a string a couple of wins together for whomever takes over after that. But they already said he's not getting fired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that can change if he does something terrible, but I don't think he's done anything that will force their hands. Right. Like at this point, I don't think more, but I don't know. He could be also acting under their instruction, right. Of like, just play it out. And maybe part of the reason why he's relying on veterans is so they can figure out who needs to get traded off the island as fast as possible, right? (laughs) So maybe they're not worried too much about evaluating the young kids. All right, so the last thing that I had uh, written down for today was uh, the one thing that I took from this game that was actually kind of exciting. This is the first Habs-Bruins game in, like, five years that... Felt like a Habs Bruins game. You mean what people you mean? punched each other in the face? Where there was actual <laughs> intensity. I, like, listen, this rivalry, once Lucic was gone, once Suban was gone, once Dale Weiss was gone, Alexi Emelin was gone, it died. It died. Like, before the Habs got bad, this rivalry was dead in the water. It's It's weird. Like, all of the emotion was out, even though like Brad Marchand was still a shithead. You know, like, and he tried to headshot Suzuki today without the puck. And in a real league, that would be an immediate suspension. But they're gonna just let him get away with it because he's Brad Marchand, and the refs think he's funny. But like that, like Marchand's always been there, and he adds. But like the Canadians just haven't had anything going, and I think Michael Pozzetta kind of reignited something there so like that even though they're nowhere close to equal team the Bruins are going to kick their butts for the next couple seasons that was interesting to see that there's actual emotion between these two teams because it hasn't felt like a rivalry in a long time I I haven't noticed the same thing I I gotta be honest with you I've never felt that rivalry went away and if anything when you um, when you gave me the choice of games to to do I looked for the Bruins game because to me, that's the exciting one. That's always been the rivalry that even more than the Leafs, that's always been for me, the one that, that actually angered me. Cause when I was a kid, the Bruins actually used to piss me off. They were, there were some series where they beat us where, where it actually hurt. And then there was th- those great series in the early and early and mid two thousands. And it's just, that's never gone away. At least as a fan, 
for me, maybe, maybe on the ice, you're saying it looked different the last couple of years and maybe I haven't paid as close attention, but, uh, for me, uh, this, this was your regular old Habs Bruins game. Yeah. Maybe we ended up on the wrong side of it, but like Scott, you said it, there was, there was some ugliness to tonight's game that is kind of de rigueur for a Habs Bruins game. I think part of it is we haven't seen the Bruins in the playoffs since what, 2014, when that series went absolutely bonkers off the rails for a lot of different reasons. When you don't see a team in the playoffs for so long, like the rivalry with Toronto cooled because Toronto, quite frankly, sucked for a long time and then got good and the Habs got bad and it didn't matter until the playoffs happened and then all in the Canadian division itself. And that was just back full swing. When you don't see a team when it matters for the longest time, it kind of dies off like the Habs and Flyers used to have a rivalry, you know, back in the 70s. And when that went away, no one really considered them rivals. It was the Bruins because they always seemed to come together in the playoffs on their way to the Stanley Cup one way or the other. And when you don't have that anymore, it's like, yeah, they're in the same division, original six. And they don't like each other. But that playoff always adds like a spark to even if it's simmering a little bit and brings it to that next level. And tonight, ugly game. Yeah, but it had that it had that I am I don't want to say it's stupid, but it has that stupidity to it that you only get in certain rivalry games. Yes. You get guys like Michael Pozzetta who are in their element in that. It's like I am going to cause trouble on purpose. And that's what he does. And he's surprisingly good at at the NHL level. How often do you see Patrice Bergeron attack a fourth line AHLer? That's impressive exactly. work by a 23 year old kid, honestly. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm coming back to with the, the Habs Bruins rivalry is I'm thinking back over the last five years and like, how many games have been memorable? You know? Whereas, like, I can still remember memorable regular season, not playoff games from back when it was like, Pacioretty scoring in overtime and like shoving Chara after the whistle, right? And then the next three games afterwards, Chara's trying to injure him and breaks his neck. You know, like that kind of stuff. It all happened in the regular season. There was fire at all times. Subban just like absolutely destroying Marshawn in the middle of open ice where Marshawn's trying to uh, clean zone entry. You know, the playoffs matter 100%, but this rivalry has always had something special over the last decades where like there's players that just butt heads and it it ignites things that only this rivalry really has right like that level it, of stupidity and but it goes back further than that and oh, i think, it, I think it, it, it goes back further than the few decades th that we remember of course and i think the different but the difference between now and then is that for a lot of that time especially i mean those those teams from 10 years ago were relevant montreal canadians teams and they were playing against Boston Bruins teams that were either on their way to the Stanley Cup Finals or had just come from the Stanley, or had just come from winning a Stanley Cup Finals. Those, it's just a different, different place. It's yeah. hard to expect this Montreal Canadiens team to to deliver a memorable game. But that, but tonight was kind of memorable, even though they lost five one. That's what I'm kind of saying. Is like I think people will remember thirty games from now, maybe even next year, Michael Pozzetta just. Pissing off Patrice Bergeron enough to take a dumb penalty because Patrice okay, so Bergeron he wins, doesn't he wins do tonight's that. Steve Bejan award. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Steve Bejan was wildly entertaining when the Canadians were terrible. And then when they started making the playoffs, started taking penalties that 
kept them out of the playoffs. <laughs> I digress. And that's probably Michael Pizzetta's fate as well. Those kinds of players are fun, <laughs> but probably not on competitive. Uh, I think that's really all I've I've got for tonight. I really enjoyed chatting with you both. I think that uh, despite the scoreline, it was a pretty fun game overall. Uh, I'm I'm excited to be back at this. Honestly, the last few weeks have been so weird for me. Uh, you know, caught COVID over the holidays. Was supposed to do a show on the World Juniors. World Juniors get canceled. <laughs> And then I'm like, all right, well, I'll go back to the Montreal games. And then <laughs> the Canadians get like all of their home games nuked. So who knows what's going on? But uh, really enjoyed chatting with you both. Uh, first, Dave, then Scott. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Oh, uh, any anywhere you get your podcast, just type in Delve the New Normal and uh, catch me uh, coast to coast on Bell Media every once in a while. I just did a big run over the holidays. It was a lot of fun uh, getting to speak to everybody all across Canada. Hope to do it again soon. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Scott Matla. You can find my podcast with the active stick, Laura Seba, at LO underscore Canadians, wherever you get your podcast, Locked on Canadians. And I do my writing covering the rocket and whatever analysis I can currently do on the Montreal Canadiens at Habs Eyes on the Prize. Absolutely. I think we didn't even get to touch on Mark Bergevin, so I'm going to save that for the next show. Fun stuff. Uh, sorry, Bergevin, you got bumped. <laughs> All right. talk to you guys soon really thanks, enjoyed it Andrew. thanks everyone Bye, for guys. tuning in to this show in this shit heap of a season you can't <laughs> even understand how much i appreciate every person who clicks on this link whether it's the show live or the youtube video after or a podcast 